LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, which I forgot there for a moment, which is why Chandler, who is co-hosting today, did not introduce himself or the podcast. So I had to remind you to start the podcast. No, you just gave me a look. Oh, there we go. worked uh, together long enough that I know <laughs> he knew usually what that look means. <laughs> we have another uh, guest co-host who is on here quite frequently now, and that is uh, Brad Wagner, Dr. Brad Wagner. He was actually one of my seminary professors, which we've talked about numerous times now at this point. Absolutely. Good to be here. Um, so uh, what's really fascinating to me is we were walking up here to do this podcast. I met Chandler in the hallway and we're walking down the <laughs> walking down the hall and I look over and I was like, is that my book? And he's like, no, I heard you mention that book yep. and I bought it, which is uh, kudos to you, Chandler. Well, thank you. Way to be prepped and ready. It's a great for this book. Podcast. The and book he's referring to is staff your, Ch- staff your church for growth by Gary Macintosh. In which we mentioned it was a little dated. How did we know that it was dated, Chandler? Because of the research? We no, tried to look because up the we front. walked in and Brad said, <laughs> hey, where'd you get that book? Yeah. I was going to mention that book. <laughs> and then I said, um, well, that's probably because he gave it to me to read at some point uh, in the past. So here's, here's how the circle works. And, See, and I asked the question... I'm not aware of a more contemporary book that really nails this topic like that book. And you said... There's not one. Which is amazing. Excellent. Yeah. The, uh, somebody needs to write it or rewrite yeah. it or Gary needs to rewrite it. Yeah. Um, because the... the Okay. So there's a lot of content in that book that is great and, and timeless. And then there's some research elements in there that probably need to be updated. Yeah. Concepts are still valid though. Oh, Absolutely. So you want to get started? Sure. So this is episode two of kind of our emphasis on church staff in January. And this one's going to be covering how to hire church staff. So we'll just jump into the questions here. And the first one is Lifeway Research shows that the majority of churches have zero to one full-time paid staff members. So let's just start out by discussing when is the right time to hire more staff? All right. Well, I'm going to share a few things I wrote down and you can kind of, the two of you can kind of jump on what you want to focus on the most. Uh, The real answer is it depends. (laughs) You know, it really does. It depends on a lot of different things. So here's what I uh, said to myself as I was responding to these questions. Are you going to talk in the third person? Third person, exactly. What would Brad do? Yeah. (laughs) So uh, first of all, it, it, I, ideally, uh, to me, it starts with what are the needs within the church or the community that are not currently being adequately addressed. Uh, I would like to think that if I was a lead pastor right now, that would be my first question is, what are we failing to do as a church? What opportunities are there that we're not addressing that really need to be addressed that's aligned with our mission, vision, and right. values? And, and so I think you start with with that, all right? And, uh, and then the other thing is the growth trajectory of the church. Now, you know, I served in mostly larger churches, so I want to be careful to not impose that mentality on somebody who may be listening. But... But is the church growing, thus the demands of leadership are greater or not, I think is a factor. Like I said, I'll go through these and then we can go back and and, uh, 
drill down on one or more of them. The other thing is budget constraints or opportunities. Hmm. What can you afford? And I know there's a faith element to that for sure. I've always believed that a, a good staff hire will pay for him or herself in in uh, fairly quickly under many circumstances. So you can't be you can't live totally by your current numbers, right. but you do have to ask the question what what can we afford? And uh, so budget budget constraints or opportunities. I know um, Dr. Rainer and I, as we've done a lot of consulting here and there, you know the general rule of thumb we typically follow about the percentage of a church's expenditure or annual ministry budget. Um, in terms of personnel, it shouldn't go above 50% normally. I'm really glad you said that because in the last episode, that's <laughs> where we came down. Yeah. yeah. So good. Otherwise, we'd be in trouble right now. You know, in some circumstances, I could see it going higher than that, um, depending on other things like, does the church have a lot of debt? Right. Et cetera. So that's why a lot of this is contextual. The other thing I had is, what is your philosophy about volunteers? So. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, a lot of churches, they'll say, hey, we want to we want to do more things with our lay ministry. We have gifted people who can work part time or be even bivocational. Or there's a lot of talk about side gigs today. A lot of people are familiar and comfortable with with that. And so that's that's a factor. And then lastly, I put down and I kind of alluded to this, I think, in my first comment. Where are you weak in terms of your current staff? Now, that implies if you have staff. You rightly pointed out many of our churches don't, don't. even have one full-time staff, right. even the pastor's bivocational. Yeah. But if the church is large enough that it's wrestling with growing the staff, you know, I would say, where are you currently weak? So let me let me pause. I just kind of threw a bunch of stuff at that first question. Where do you want to drill down or disagree? Uh, I would say, you know, one of the things that you, that you said uh, earlier about you didn't put it this way. I would say you want to be careful um, it, when hiring staff because once you do have that spot, they will necessitate their own existence. Yeah. They will create ministry. Yeah, that's true. Where ministry was not, for better or for worse, whether or not it's in alignment with your purpose or not. Um, so be careful when you hire full-time staff. Um I know we've got an upcoming question about part-time staff, which yep. is probably you know kind of where I would where I would start and then work my way up. Um, but the right time to to hire really does depend on what phase and stage you are in your existence and growth as well. So part of the the book we referenced earlier was staffing your church for growth. That implies that you can staff for what you have currently or for growth. Now, if you're staffing your church for growth, you want to make sure that you have a plan and a strategy in place. Uh, Hiring a person is not a strategy. Right. Uh, And so just, you know, I would say I would want to throw caution there. The right time to to have and to hire more staff is definitely when you have the right strategy in place that is in alignment with your purpose and your pers- purpose, by the way, should be aligned with the Bible, which is making disciples who make <laughs> disciples. Um, it, all that has to, has to come into play, but ultimately um, I'll, I'll toss it back to you now to, well, I'll, I'll just underscore things. one thing I already said, and that is I really truly do believe I've seen this in, in settings other than the local church for sure. And that is a really good hire will pay for him or herself often. Oh, for Not sure. always, but often. And so that's why it's 
being realistic about your current finances, but but having that faith element as well. So I just, you know. And I would say directly or indirectly, because there are some hires that you make that, you know, from a direct standpoint, you can't. You can't point to, hey, this is under their area, especially in the business space. Hey, I can't tell you exactly how this person uh, did that but or added that value, but they certainly did. I think it's easier to see in the church, usually because you're hiring for a specific role. Um, but something like worship versus kids. Right. Worship would probably be harder to measure, I think, than, than children, as an example. Yeah, I'm, I think that's a good distinction you've made. So one one tension there is, you know, even the book we're referencing is staffing your church for growth. You know, I think a question, if I'm putting myself into a listen, the listener's shoes, and even a question I have is, you, what comes first, the, the growth of the church or the staff hire? So if you're in that tension of saying, hey, we want to grow, it's just me, or maybe we, we see a spot, how would you advise someone who's saying, we're on the cusp, I'm not sure if this is the right time, do we hire to lead into that growth? Does the that new hire help us go into that? Or do we wait until we're, we're really on the edge and we're, we're feeling the burden of it? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know that I have a, an answer that's going to really nail that other than, you know, I think some, you know, some leadership decisions are subjective in nature. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, you, you know, your people, you know, the context, um, can you, and I hate to say this, the word gamble, but can you, can you afford the risk uh, what if you hire too soon, and yeah. then you if if that happens, what do you do? What's your contingency plan? So there, there's so many what ifs here. But I would just say um, I would lean a little bit in the direction of um, a good, whether it's a volunteer or a paid staff, part time or full. I I think leadership will lead to growth. Hmm. But I sure don't fault somebody who says, we're going to wait and see where the Lord blesses us, where the opportunities come from. So I, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer to that. Yeah. I would say uh, first you need to ask two questions. What am I doing and what are we doing? Meaning that um, the we question first, are are we doing the right things? Are from a ministry perspective, from a programming perspective, you know, all of that. Are we doing the right things? Are those things in alignment with our purpose of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples? Um, Are there things that uh, I could get rid of and be more in alignment with where I need to be purpose-wise or have more resources to to spend? The next thing would be, am I, what what am I doing? Um, And you know, I think doing is a bad word because it really should be, who am I developing? Is there a volunteer who should be doing this position? And when does that transition need to happen between a volunteer or volunteer leaders doing this position versus a paid staff person? If you, you know, if we're looking from a scripture standpoint, we know that uh, numerous places, we know that we're the body of Christ and we know that we're not going to be who we should be until all members of the body are growing and spiritual maturity and unity and, you know, all these things. And so I'm not going to preach Ephesians 2.10 to you about workmanship. Uh, I'm just going to say, are is there somebody that God has already put in place that you're robbing of spiritual maturity by allowing them to use their gifts and service to Christ and joy and uh, bring God glory um, 
in that role. Now, that's not to say, hey, I know you're an XP. You're just being cheap. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm saying that, you know, there, there's also the excellence uh, trade-off, um, mm. perhaps. And that is a big perhaps because some people will say, oh, we're well, not going to have excellence unless you pay for excellence. I want to have the expectation that the person's always going to be here. So I want to tie money to the job. I mean, there's there's all those things that come into play. But I think taking a step back and saying, what are we doing and what am I doing? And are we as lean as we can be? And are we leveraging uh, what we can um, in the, the most effective way resource-wise? And that is people, finances, and time. That's great. Well, let's move to the next question, Todd. You referenced this just a little bit ago. But when should churches hire part-time paid staff and what type of roles are best for part-time? Well, my response to that is the 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 win is similar to some of the things we've already said. I, I believe in that. That is either man, you you're really beginning to see God move in a specific area, and the current leadership team is overwhelmed. You're understaffed or underled, um, or you you you're you're projecting what you think the future might look like. So I guess we've kind of already addressed the first part of that question in terms of timing. The role part, it, to me, I, I guess a simple answer to that is it, it, it depends on what it is you're trying to accomplish. And Todd has been good to more than once remind us that everything's got to be aligned with the biblical mission of the church, making right. disciples who make disciples the and whatnot. So alignment's really key here. But but the role, I, I it's like, well, what are you trying to accomplish? What's the preferred future? I, I've always liked that's kind of starting there. What is the preferred future in, in any area of life? You know, yeah. your health, your marriage, your your church. What is it we're trying to fix? What gap are we trying to close? And so you start out with that future that you would love to see developed. And then you kind of reverse engineer that and you say, what kinds of things must we do as a church that will get us to this preferred future? And and then you you recruit people to those tasks, to those mm -hmm. functions, Rather than the other way around where, and I think you alluded to this, Todd, a moment ago, where you'd hire somebody and now you try to justify them being <laughs> there and pretty soon stuff's being created that isn't aligned. So you identify the behaviors, the functions that are going to get us from A to B, and then you hire according to those, uh, whatever those demands are. Hmm. So I would say, um, again, just throwing up the caution of... Um, I think part-time is the the way to go at first. It's a great time to transition someone. Um, but first, I would lean on volunteer uh, and volunteer leaders as much as I possibly could um, as I move into that. I think part-time roles um, for staff might include worship pastor. Um, now, the traditional, now some people are getting really upset with me, especially worship pastors right now. <laughs> um, I would say... Hold on to your V-neck. It'll be all right. Um, the, the deal for me is on that. Unless you're in a church that has like a choir and an orchestra and a children's choir and, you know, multiple services with multiple bands, that's not really a full-time role. Now, I will say 
hiring a full-time worship guy is fine if he does more than worship. Maybe he does groups or maybe he does the couples groups or something else, you know, besides that. But I have a hard time having that as a a full-time role. So I think that's a great one. Um, The other one would be, you know, maybe one of the uh, children's coordinator positions could be a part-time position. Um, And specifically, uh, I'm thinking of mostly larger churches, but smaller churches as well. So, I mean, predominantly the heavy lifting uh, does occur on Sunday morning. And some people would say, oh, but Todd, it happens throughout the week. I have a preschool that meets at my church. Awesome. Then maybe you need that, but not everybody does. And so going back to that um, smaller church that's growing, that is one of the first places that you usually see uh, a part-time role is in the, the children's area. And that's because... You know, they're shifting from, um, you know, a volunteer who's kind of a traffic cop, uh, Sunday school director almost to, okay, we need a more concerted, coordinated effort and some strategic advance planning and things like that that have to occur. Um, so we're going to bring somebody on for this many hours a week. And yes, we recognize that those hours happen on Sunday, but they're also happening some throughout the week. Again, I would point back to pipeline as well, because if you have a volunteer, a strong volunteer pipeline, and it's not just that part-time person who's recruiting and developing volunteers, but it's the volunteers that you've equipped and empowered to uh, recruit and uh, develop other volunteers along the way, man, then that that role has a different look. That role is more about development. And I got to believe if you grow your volunteers and you grow the people of your church, that's the most effective way to help your church grow is growing its people. Um, so I know I'm, I'm kind of on a little bit of a rabbit trail now. Um, I'm going to, if I may but, inject Todd at this point, some, some part-time roles that I've seen uh, be effective have been um, in the pastoral care area. And again, I've already indicated earlier, I've been in larger churches. Okay. But um, I've, I've been in two churches where there was a part-time pastoral care function that worked really well. One was a retired pastor who just was really good at, at the people's side. And right. I've seen that work effectively. Um, I'm, I've, I've already looked ahead to some of the questions on episode three, so I may be getting ahead of ourselves <laughs> here. But lay ministry. So many years ago, I went to a leadership network seminar on lay ministry, how to structure and put together um, the equipping of the laity, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16-ish. And um, they actually recommended that somebody be the point person. Some might call it assimilation. Some right. might even call it discipleship. But um, I know some churches who've had part-time help in in that area of assimilating and equipping people into various types of ministry. So those are at least two areas that I've seen part-time. I'd be, a, depending on your circumstances, I'd be a little less, I'd be a bit hesitant in the children's area. I just think that's a, um, a high space. demand, a very crucial I was part. speaking specifically from smaller churches. Right. Um, who may have to be part-time. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the first, that's mm-hmm. usually the first role I'm going to hire. Yeah. Uh, and if, if I'm a bivocational guy, I'm already a full-timer that's feeling like a part-timer myself. So if I'm going to add somebody, man, the first person I'm probably going to add is that a part-time children's person and then move on from there. Now, if I'm in a larger, mid-sized, larger church, um, there are going to be some positions in the children's ministry underneath the children's director 
where I'm going to start to add, you know, different part-time positions. I would be very, very careful about the 10 and 15 hour a week kind of positions um, within children's and student ministry, because I've seen those get expanded super quickly. um, And it's more out of uh, the convenience of saying, oh, well, you know, according to the state, we have to have this many people. And I, you know, if I, I need to make sure that we're, we've got people in that room on Sunday morning and, you know, only I can make so many phone calls on Saturday night. I need somebody else making phone calls on Saturday night as well. So part of the reason I sorry put this question in here is our church is about 250 to 300, has about four or five part-time staff. Two of those are worship. Uh, one is assimilation. And then uh, I was I was in a part-time associate pastor role for a little bit as well. And I was wondering which roles, uh, and I would say this from my experience of being, it was somewhat of an associate pastor, kind of executive pastor role, trying to help cast vision. And they're so talking so, about your role, my role yeah, okay. uh, in our church. And it was the part time. One of the aspects of it that was hard was the ownership. Um, I can, I have, I was 10 to 15 hours um, and I was able to either strategize or be the one doing it. It was hard to do both on a part time time frame. So it was trying to work through volunteers and all that. So there are definitely tensions and there are definitely roles right. in the church that are set up better for that, where Sunday morning is more, you're, you're there on a Sunday morning. Those hours are pertaining to that. Uh, for me, it was, I felt like that role was more of a full-time role um, that we were, we're okay, trying to establish. So let's, uh, let's talk about you for a minute, Chandler. <laughs> okay. Um, so you came, so you were an intern here at Lifeway, like I don't know. 2014? 2014. I think so, yeah. So he came through our internship program, you know, saw some potential in the kid. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, and then you were a student pastor yep. um, for a couple of years. And then when Barnabas left, uh, which longtime listeners know Barnabas, when Barnabas left, that left uh, a gap for us. And so, you know, you were... Uh, perfect because you were a known quantity. Um, you'd already, we'd already, you were tried and true, tested, you know, Lifeway leadership, we're good to go. Um, so then you come here uh, and, you know, that's a disconnect for some people because, you know, I talk to people uh, all the time that listen to the podcast or whatever, and they know that um, I would say, unless you struggle with going back to the local church, then you probably don't fit terribly well at Lifeway. Mm. Um, so you made kind of the transition back into, uh, a part-time role at your church, yep. uh, as an XP type role. Um, so talk to us a little bit about, like you said, the, the strategy with, I'm sorry, you, you had enough time where it was either, Hey, I can execute or I can strategize, but I, I can't yeah. go. talk about that tension. Yeah. So we, we'd have meetings where we were uh, talking through the mission vision of our church. We we're going through like a capital campaign for the, for the fall. And we would have uh, large, you know, kind of in-depth meetings on that, where that was taking up the majority of my time throughout the week. So then of course, I have my role here at Lifeway, which is taking up a lot of time as well. So there was only so many hours in the day right. to be able to either strategize with the team and saying, hey, guys, here's the action points. Uh, you know, there's some things I can pick up, but not as much as if I was full time, I am able to be in the office. 
um, every single day, walk across the hall, have those conversations, actually be the one running with it throughout the week and Sunday morning. Right. Instead, it was like we had the conversation on one of our staff meetings. And then for me, it was have, absolutely working through people, but there were, there were things that I needed to own to make sure it got through the finish line and probably took longer than we wanted it to be. Um, so I was, there were times where it was like, Hey, I'm, I'm not able to be at that meeting, but tell me what I can do. Uh, right. I can be at the meeting. I can strategize. I'm gonna have to not do those things. So for pastors that are listening that have part-time people on staff, so it sounds like a great idea, you know, to me, mm-hmm. um, but I've never been part-time. I've only been yeah. on full-time staff at the church. Uh, so what would you tell people? you know, from your perspective of being a part-timer. Yeah. I think, what would you tell a pastor? What I think probably one of the biggest things, and you know, my pastor and I, we had, we had good communication about this, but I think the expectations, uh, what are you wanting me to accomplish in the limited amount of time that I have? Uh, let's make sure that those are clear so that when I get done with the week, I know what, if I was able to hit that goal, that win, right. What are you bringing me on for? I've got, for me, it was about 10 to 15 hours. Where can I make the biggest dent with those 10 to 15 hours? Um, if it's just a generic role, it's, it's hard to say, okay, well, did I, did I hit that? It's, it's to be able to map those out. Um, and then I, I think it goes back to the, the question of which roles are best. I think it's just before you're hiring is asking, yes, is, is this a part-time role? Can we handle this through volunteers? Um, or is this a full-time that we need to aspire to? So, right. yeah. Good deal. All right. I'll give you back the podcast seat now. No, it's good. So let's go to the third question here. Where should churches look when it comes to hiring new staff? So some internal, internal, external experience versus potential, all those kind of things. Yeah. Well, there's, there's advantages, obviously there are advantages of the internal in terms of, you know, you've heard the standard stuff. Well, they, they know who we are. They get the DNA. There's a deep seated loyalty. And so, yeah, I think internal is a, is a great place to start to see, um, you know, what's, what are the options internally? I'm not one who thinks that's the only way to do it. Right. Sometimes you need outside set of eyes, new blood, uh, whatnot. So, um, yeah, I would just say don't don't default too easily to the internal options just because it's a lot harder to go out and find that external candidate. Um, but yeah, I think I think uh, both can work. Um, you know, one of the things that I I I still believe word of mouth. So the phrase I use is shake the tree. I have been you know since I was a seminary professor for several years and have former students around the country. You know, I get contacted fairly often, people looking for staff members. Um, And I've had some success just emailing my network of friends. (laughs) And is email too old-fashioned to even mention on this podcast, you know? No, Um, I think we're Okay, good. So so I shake the tree of my network, my personal network, and that has been productive. Mm -hmm. Now, I've got, you know, I have a lot of friends who I can reach out to, so that, that helps. But I've seen that be effective. So word of mouth... I still think is is the uh, an effective way, and then I'm increasingly if you're doing an external hire, I'm still a big fan of uh, outside search firms. Now again, I may be skewing a little bit toward the middle sized larger church context here, but I've seen some real fruit from search firms like Vanderblumen and others that can really do some things for your church that's hard for you to do right. in and uh, on your own. And then uh, there's still the old thing that sometimes can be fruitful of checking with your denominational structures and seminaries and, and um, finding, you know, out what opportunities are there. But for me, 
It's still the networking with people you right. trust. I'd, I would say the same. Um, I would say you want to look at it almost as in concentric circles. So it would be, okay, if I look at, you know, my ministry area, is there somebody there? If I look outside my ministry area, still at my church, is there somebody there that might, you know, make a fit? Uh, then I go to friends, like guys that I know, guys that if they said, read this book, it would be a good book. Not all my <laughs> friends, not all my friends will tell me good books to read. I know the ones that tell me good books to read, and I know the ones that if they recommend a book, I just, uh-huh. <laughs> Um, and it's the same with people too. I'm just saying some yeah. people have better judgment than others. Some people right. will be like, I know a guy and they just mean, I know a guy, yeah. not he's known and mm -hmm. he's a good guy. All right. Sorry. Uh, so beyond that, it would be those close personal friends too. It is that network. It is, Hey, I know these guys and do they know some guys? And then finally it would be the, the search firm. I mean, most, in most instances, uh, almost everybody I've hired in my whole life have been people that uh, came through uh, friends or my network, not through a process personally. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, let me go back to the internal, external piece. And if you guys differ with this, speak up. Um, one of the things that you have to keep in mind as a caution if you hire internally is what if it doesn't go well? Mm, that can true. be a little tricky. You know, especially if they've been at the church a long time, they have relatives in the church, friends in the church. So, um, I'm, again, I'm not at all opposed to doing internal hires. Right. I'm just throwing that out as a word of With caution. A caution. Yeah. I would say, too, um, there are instances where you want to hire somebody externally if there's something specifically that you're trying to address or change in the culture. Yeah. So if I want to make a shift yeah, or a good, I want to, a good word. to, to bring in... Uh, a new perspective or there's an element where I'm trying to lead us in a sp certain direction. Yeah, that's, that's good. You know, you're smarter th now than you were <laughs> when you were my student <laughs> experience. So I actually wrote down <clears throat> while Brad was talking, I wrote uh, beside internal, I said, keeping culture, external changing culture. And it's probably Todd, you might've said it, which I'm starting to realize a lot of what you say probably came from Brad. Yeah, he probably stole it from me. <laughs> yeah. There's the danger of having him. <laughs> yeah. So, so with that, I mean, would you, it sounds like you agree with that. I mean, internal is, is somewhat keeping culture, external is changing culture. Right. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I think you've got to be really strategic. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost like, uh, somebody needs to create a, a dating app for <laughs> pastors. Um, <laughs> For their churches. It? I don't know. <laughs> but it's like a pastormatch.com. It's like, hey, oh, gosh. Here, here are the things the church is passionate. Because guess what? The church is going to look like that pastor in three years. Hmm. So if your pastor, if your new pastor is passionate about missions, guess what? Your church is going to, if he sticks, is going to be passionate about missions or is going to be passionate about marriage and family yep. or whatever he's passionate about, missions, whatever it is. You're going to be passionate about that too over the course of time. And so um, that is good in some regards. Now, again, um, when you're looking at bringing out somebody from the, in, from the outside in, it's got to be enough DNA that matches for it, for it to be a match and not a, a mismatch. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I want to change the culture, but 
one of us isn't going to make it out of this if this person is too different. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you look at any standard um, personality test and you look at, um, you know, uh, two, two uh, spouses, um, they are going to have an overlap in some area where it's like, oh, when now when you're dating, you're like, oh, we're so much alike. And, we, and you only figure out you're really different when you're married. <laughs> and so the the you're the same on some stuff that keeps it interesting and you're complete opposites on the other side of it. So both, you know, both those things are true. So if you look at a disc assessment and you're a, like I'm a DI and my wife is a DC. Uh, so it's really, really interesting in our home. Um, but you know, she wins though. So I'm sure oh, she was, she <laughs> was smart. She Brad would tell you she made better grades than me. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and Geiger too. So yeah, Exactly. <laughs> he had all three of us. <laughs> Incredible. So moving on to the actual interview process, what questions should you ask during the interview? Oh, yeah, I love this question. Like uh, and I'm way over prepared on this. Uh, I have lists and lists and lists. And, you know, as you as you know, Todd, I've saved a lot of content over the years. Yes. Um, so a lot of interview questions. However, I, I it's an opportunity to emphasize a book that I've emphasized many times. Um the Ideal Team Player by Patrick mm-hmm. Lencioni. He he talks about three essential attributes for any hire, hungry, humble, and smart or savvy. And, um, and then he has really good questions in the back of the book about, well, how do you ferret that out in an interview? Mm-hmm. And so I actually just went online and I, I checked and, you know, I don't know if somebody stole this from him or if if, if he (laughs) He gave permission, (laughs) but there was a nice, helpful PDF on questions for each of those those areas, hungry, humble, and savvy. Um, Break them down, Brad. Okay, so I don't know how much time you want to spend on this, but under the, uh, let's go to the humble piece uh, first. And so here, a few questions. Um, Describe your current team. What do you like and dislike? And then the reason this was under the humble category is the insight you're looking for here is by asking a team-related question, it may be apparent if he or she values a team and team effort and is willing to do what is necessary for the good of the team. So you're you're actually kind of backdooring some of these, uh, using these questions as a backdoor to see if that person's actually a team player or not, or is it all about him or herself? Another question, what are the most important accomplishments of your career? And here, and this may seem just obvious, but he said, uh, look for more mentions of we versus I. Yeah. Narcissists will always talk about themselves and what they accomplished. And, uh, but, but a person who truly has a humble wiring is going to talk about what we did as a team at our church. So uh, I'll do one more under the humble list. Uh, what are the most embarrassing moments in your career or the biggest failure? And this one seems perhaps a little obvious, but the insight is look for whether the candidate celebrates that em- uh, embarrassment uh, or is mortified by it. So either embar- it, it will, will smile about it or is mortified by it. Humble people generally aren't afraid to tell their unflattering stories because they're, they're comfortable to some degree being imperfect. Anyway, and then the list goes on. But those, are, I think, are some real insightful questions to get at the issue of humility. And, and then there are similar questions uh, on smart and and on being hungry but I don't know how much time you want to spend on specific I'd say questions. keep going I'll I'll throw in one or two at the end okay 
Uh, under the hungry, it's uh, uh, what is the hardest you've ever worked on something in your life? And of course, you're looking here for joyful sacrifice. Is there a track record of really, really working hard and uh, going the extra mile at some point in a, in a person's career? Or is that the, the hallmark of their career? Another question would be, what do you like to do when you're not working? Now, this this is a little tricky here, I think, because, <clears throat> you know, I, I love highly driven people, hardworking people. I don't want them to do that at the expense of their marriage or their family. So this is one of those balancing uh, effects. But the insight that's being uh, looked at here is if they have too many time-consuming hobbies, you might be in, uh, might indicate they're not all in. I used to joke around in my seminary classes, if when you're interviewing a staff member, ask what they're uh, their golf score is. Now, the true golfers will say the <laughs> handicap, right? And, I, and I've jokingly said, if anybody says that their golf score is below 90, don't hire them because they're spending too much time and money <laughs> on the golf Former course. college golfers are not allowed to be on staff, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you get the point. Oh, yeah. Uh, one other question on the hungry. What was your work ethic like as a teenager? Mm -hmm. And then once again, you're looking for examples of difficulty, sacrifice, and hardship, even when they were younger. What did you do when, when you were? And then, again, the questions go... Uh, on and on, very, I think, helpful uh, questions. And then uh, I'll mention a couple on my other list here, and then you guys can jump in that I think are uh, helpful about their performance. What were you at their previous place of service or work? What were you hired to do? How was your performance measured? What were your results? What were your key accomplishments? As you look back, what were the low points for you? Um, and then it goes on and on. But and these are questions that are designed. I got these from a Randy Van story. Uh, it's kind of an older document that I kept, but you're looking for a track record of execution and performance. And, you know, you could have similar questions in a lot of different categories. But let me come up for air and let you guys <laughs> jump in. Those are all great. Todd? All right. Uh, I'm referring back to a... Um a downloadable that I did for my leadership. <laughs> There's 25 interview questions and how to answer them, or what they mean and how to answer them. Because, you know, I felt really bad. Uh, and I think originally this was a tad, a tied to a blog post. And I was yeah. like, this is, I feel dirty right now because I'm telling you how to answer this question. Somewhat, I'm telling you how to answer this question, but it's really about the intentionality behind it and why you want to ask it. So, um, you know, how have you developed uh, your team and volunteers, I think is one, because that's a good follow-up to tell me about your call to ministry or what's your philosophy of ministry. It's easy to answer that one. Uh, and then but it's like, okay, how have you, how have you done this? Um, how do you like to be led? Um, it's really important for you to, you know, for people to answer that well. If, if your manager doesn't know how you like to be led, then it could be it could be rough for you. So mm -hmm. it may not be a fit. And I think that's a good way to find out if, if it's going to work or not. Um, how they handle stress. Um, if there's anything in your past that might keep you from being an effective minister at our church. So that's just the point blank. Um, I am uh, in somewhat, in some cases, protecting my church and myself from liability mm -hmm. at this point, because they, if they're honest here, you know, this is where sometimes there's uh, answers to this question that comes up because I've used this one for a long time. 
where it's like they're going to bring something up that's really hard or painful or a failure, but it's obvious that you know they've they've dealt with that or they've dealt with it in an effective manner. Um, uh, I mean, there's standard stuff like you want to make sure they support um, your statement of faith and um, make sure they've actually read it. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, and then are you discipling anyone is the last one I'll ask because, you know, if they answer not at the moment, then I'll ask them, we'll share your most recent experience. <laughs> um, if it's a yes, if it's, it's, it's good for you. If, if not, then man, <laughs> are you sure this is what you want to do? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to jump in. Uh, the couple I skipped over in my list here would, would be, tell me about a time you've had conflict with a peer or a boss or an organization, because uh, I think it's important to know how do they handle conflict? Mm. Are they afraid of it? Do they get bitter? Or do they have some maturity in managing through conflict in a healthy way? Another area is, have you had to make, tell me some unpopular decisions you've made. You know, what... Wh- were you willing to go in a certain direction, even though you knew uh, it wouldn't make everybody happy? And so I think that's a good leadership type question. And then um, I don't know if you guys want to get into some of the personal stuff. I do think you don't you don't assume anything in terms of morality. Um, you know, do they like do they give? I've been surprised how many staff members don't actually even hmm. give or tithe. Uh, so you know, there there are tons of things you can investigate. Yeah. Is there research? Uh, did we? I wonder if there's research on that one. That would be a good staff question. Staff members who give? Yeah. What mm-hmm. is that, that ratio? Be, yeah. I don't know of any research. So I would be really glad if I didn't know that. Yeah. That'd yeah. be interesting. So Todd referenced a few blogs uh, that he, or the blog on how to hire uh, or the interview questions and how to answer them. There's also uh, the downloadable 25 interview questions and how to answer them. And when I was, I was coming up, I was telling Todd this before we, we hit record. When I was coming up to interview, I went on and I found every single interview blog and podcast and listened to it on the way up to make sure. So I was prepared for the interview and could get into how Todd interviewed. So that was very helpful. There's some, there's a couple of old episodes um, where we talk about interviewing, interviewing well and how to crush. Yeah. How to, I think it's how to crush an inter- job interview. A couple of those things. So yeah. you were prepped, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, when I, I think it was interesting that you said, make sure that they've read the statement um, of faith and understand the, the vision and values of your, of right. your church for, for Lifeway. Um, I mean, that was something I loved here is that it was asked to make sure that I knew kind of who we are, what were our values and make sure that I was ready for that. So that's great. Good deal. So let's get to the last question here. What are the common mistakes we see when it comes to hiring church staff? Well, I believe that one of the things that I would put on here is uh, um, hiring too quickly. Yes, and uh, you know you you're in a, you're always busy, and it's, it takes time to hire the right person. Whether it's an internal hire or an external hire, it doesn't matter. It still takes time and effort, and you know. And of course, some of that how complicated it is can depend on the polity of your church and the bylaws. Do you have to have a search team and all that? But Getting in a hurry, I, you know, I'd rather take my time and make sure that I get this hire right because it's much harder to, to get away from a bad hire than it is to take the time to find the right hire. I'd, I'd say the other thing is um, ignoring red flags. So, you know, when there's a check in your spirit about the way somebody answers a question 
or when you're getting for primary and I must say secondary references, which I think are very important. How do you if there's a check in somebody else's spirit, don't ignore those potential red flags. That that's one thought that I that um, came to to my mind. And then I'm going to throw in another concern, and that is don't ignore the spouse if they're married. Hmm. That's uh, that's uh, question twenty four. Have so, you and your spouse talked about the potential of this position? <laughs> yeah, but even beyond that, um, I, I would say. I'd want to meet the spouse. Right. I would set up contexts where I have an, a good opportunity, or my my in in my case, my wife, where we get a we get a personal feel for the spouse. Because right. you're hiring both of them. That's right. I mean, in reality, you are, and you're not. I get that. Well, but culturally, you are. Yes. That's a really good word. Uh, I would echo, you know, the the very first thing that I thought of when I saw this question was uh, that idea of hiring too fast. Because in many cases, and you've dreamed about hiring this position, you've had some, and sometimes you've had to fight for it. You've had to, you know, potentially wait a year for it, or or however long you know you need it. You're at a point of great pain, and you want to alleviate that pain and the pain for your you know, parents or the pain for whoever in the church really wants this role. Do your due diligence and hire the right person. Uh, you know, it's finally here and that position is finally opened up. Uh, we actually have uh, positions on our team right now that are yep. open. It took me a year to hire Daniel. I promise to try to do it quicker, uh, <laughs> Chandler, than, than last time. Um, but, you know, it was, I, I know the importance of, yeah. I, I've made the mistake of, of hiring too fast in the past. So uh, that was a big one for me. The, um, the other thing was, it comes alongside with checking references. Now, I know this probably isn't legal, and I've mentioned this more than once on the podcast, so I, I'm running a great risk here. Um, but I often will ask references for references. So I'll be like, hey, who do you know that really knows this person well? Because, you know, it's one step removed from the person who they've called and said, hey. Well, they're going to put their ready. friends on. The <laughs> yeah, they're going to be, right? they're, they're going to be, they're going to put the, yeah. the guy on and they're going to tell him, hey, so-and-so might give you a call. Um, be ready. And so, you know, they know, oh, I, I as the uh, person who was listed as a reference know that, you know, this guy has expectations of me to put him in a good light and, yeah. and all that. Uh, and he knew that I would do that. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't put me as a reference. So asking that person, hey, do you know someone who knows this person well? Um, I, I, of course, want their um, viewpoint. Absolutely. But at, at the end, I'm going to say, hey, do you know anybody that knows this person well uh, that might have good insight on this aspect of their ministry? or uh, And usually... They'll, they'll give me somebody and I'll arrange to talk to that person. And there's been more than one occasion where that was really insightful and really helpful, but in good and bad ways, it'll usually be pretty insightful and, and really helpful. It either is confirmation and I'm like, okay, I don't have to call any more references. Mm. I'm ready to go. Or it's like, Ooh, I, I, I need to, I need to take a step back on this one. I'm going to jump in with one other, and again, uh, I'm assuming you can edit this stuff if if you need to. But I'm going to jump <laughs> into we're not uh, that, kind but. of the elephant in the room in some cases, and that is uh, a lot of churches have hired individuals who later they get into moral difficulty, and um, 
I, I have a story close to my own ministry history where a pastor had a moral failure, and it turned out that there was evidence of that going on in his life way before he was hired and even in the interview process. And I, and I had a friend of mine, after the moral failure, he asked this pastor um, if, he'd, if he had been honest in the interview process, and the pastor said, you didn't ask the right question. Wow. And uh, which tells you a lot about the individual to begin with. Yeah. But the question that he's referring to was, when is the last time you looked at pornography? Hmm. Not, huh. have you ever struggled with this or whatever, but when's the last time? And I, now I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that in a group setting. No. Um, I would do that one-on-one. -on -one. If I was the lead pastor, I would do that one-on-one. -on -one. But I don't know with today's statistics I, I would not ignore that issue. No, there's some things that you just have to, I mean, it. and yes, that's not one of the initial, uh, no. the initial <laughs> interview questions that you ask everybody. Yeah, that, you wouldn't lead with that. Tell us about yourself. <laughs> <and> then, <laughs> uh, but it definitely is, uh, that, that definitely is one. Um, I would say I have one more question to add for, for you, Brad. Yeah. Um, and that is, uh, is it okay to, if you have somebody on staff, is it okay to hire a spouse mm. or a family member? Like, mm. how do you handle, how do you handle that one? Yeah. And again, I think there's, there's not a definitive right or wrong answer to that. I think there's contextual situations that can come to bear um, without knowing good reasons to do that right. in each given context, I would generally say I would avoid that. Right. I just think you're asking potentially for trouble when you, when you start hiring the spouse. Um, I could elaborate if you want, but my gut response would be, right. I wouldn't do that generally. Um, so we had several instances where you know, we would have, I've, like, we had a very strong program for young leaders that was a, res, a year long residency. Uh, and then on top of that, we were just in DC, which is a really young culture. And so, naturally, as you brought young people on, um, we initially had a nepotism rule. Hmm. However, when you have two employees that you really like that get married, and then you have two more employees that you like, that get married, um, it really becomes like I. It's like okay, how 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 do we how do we deal with this? How do we how do we be? Um, it's almost like how how is this? Can we be fair? How is this fair to say okay, one of you has to go hmm. off staff? Yeah. Well, I probably wouldn't have a hard and fast rule, and that might upset some people. Right. Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of anti-rule guy because bureaucracy and rules can creep in, and there goes Todd's phone again. Um, but um, I'm popular, so I just give a strong caution. Here's the deal: you got to calculate the risk because what if it doesn't work? That's like I said about an internal hire. Right. What happens if it doesn't work out? You've got to at least think through that. Right. And is it is the upside worth the potential downside? That's good. All right, that's all I got. 
Well, thanks for listening. Hopefully this has been helpful to you. Next time you're hiring staff, we hope that you might reference this episode. And if it's been helpful, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review and join us next week as we get into episode three, which will be all about how to structure your church staff. See you next week.